It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Happy 4th of July week, my friend. How are you? Yeah, so it's um, it's a week. I I think I've been, you know, this is funny, Julie. So so I've been lately, uh, and when I say lately, the last couple of years, I'll say enjoyed the long weekend uh, because you know I take the weekend. It's not something that I normally celebrate, so to speak. Um, I don't have any opposition to it. It, it is what it is. But I'm going to enjoy the weekend. You got any plans? Um. Well, I have a small obsession with Hamilton, yeah. the musical. Okay. I, I literally listen to it almost every single day of my life. Um, and so I'm going to go to my brother and sister-in-law's house and sing the whole thing along with my niece and be very, very silly. Love that. And that's really about it. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that as we watch it on, on Disney Plus. So I'm actually very, very, very excited. <laughs> so wait a minute. So it, Hamilton, is it the, the version that was on uh, Broadway in New York or a different version? Yes. Yeah. No. So original cast – so Lin-Manuel Miranda, original cast, coming to do the whole musical, and they filmed the whole thing for Disney Plus, and it comes out tomorrow. Boom. That's what oh, I'm yeah. talking about. Oh, Love it. So excited. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that is the thing. And he had a very, very good run. Or or shall I say has? Is it still? No, no, because nothing is really playing on Broadway right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's um it's still on Broadway and then it's on Broadway across America. So we got to see it in Indianapolis this year and it's just I love musicals, so take it for what it's worth. It's incredible. Like if you haven't seen it, get Disney Plus for the weekend. I'll give you my login, whatever. It's fantastic. Good stuff. Good stuff. So uh I wanna talk uh, a bit about the reading material. So I got this book last year and I believe it was sent to me by my dear friends over at Social Talent out of Dublin, Ireland. Uh, it's a book titled The Diversity Bonus. And okay. uh, every year they actually they send out something. Um, and so last year they sent me the diversity bonus. And and I was reading the book and, and actually picked it up again uh, a couple of weeks ago. And inside of the book, it talks about the pluses and minuses of inclusion and representation it uses examples, pros and cons, like Justice Scalia and his views on affirmative action and education. You can actually find that on like page 196. Or it refers to a young lady by the name of Kim Scott and her her use of the term radical candor or even mm-hmm. formula for breaking down the business case into six components. And I really like the six components that they talk about. Uh, I mentioned them real quickly. They are if in fact you're going to consider inclusion and representation, you should be looking at outcomes, options, process, people, evidence, and risk. Cool. But that was that book, Diversity outcomes. by Scott E. Page. A good read. But lately, folks have been recommending Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility. You familiar? I am. I am yeah. very familiar. You yes. You read it uh, I've read parts of it and oh. I've been to, <laughs> this is going to be the classic white girl thing I'm about to say. Um, I, I engaged in a couple of book club meetings with my uh, sister who was reading the book and, and 
kind of seeing how the white women were reacting to it. So yes, please go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So so there's been a few posts lately challenging the, let's say the efficacy, um, maybe challenging the, the direction, the spirit. Uh, that might not be the right adjectives to use, but you get my point. There have been some post, posts lately challenging whether or not it is a worthwhile read. And so okay. a blog by David Ward Burke, he wrote on his website, uh, which is The Logical Liberal, that the book White Fragility is, quote, religion masquerading as knowledge. D'Angelo's conception of white fragility isn't hard-won wisdom. It's an unprovable and unfalsifiable theory deceptively framed to convince readers of their own guilt. Said, said the white man. Let, let's said just the white man. Yeah. Said the white man. Yes. This this white man has unloaded. Robin D'Angelo is white, right? But but he has decided that the intellectual framework is is fraudulent of um, the the basis of white supremacy in this country and and racism as an underlying personality component or characteristic of a white person. Please go ahead. Yeah. And so, you know, part of, part of what, part of what I, I struggled with when, when I read the book and, and admittedly, I didn't read all of the pages, but I certainly read at least, at least three fourths of the book. I skipped around a bit. Part of what I struggled with was the, the blanketed position that all white people are racist or that all white people carry, um, I'll use racism in their their gene or their 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 action or their thought frequency, and and I challenge I was challenged by that. As a matter of fact, I actually was on a call last night with a dear friend of mine out of Seattle, and so he said, "Torn, you know, I want to have a conversation with you, and and I don't want it to be offensive, but I want to talk because I know that you can help me." And so he went and talked about his back, background growing up in Tennessee, and and he used the phrase, and he said that my racist views. And I'm saying to myself, I was like, uh, I ain't never known you to be racist, son. Like, never. So I, I found that to be interesting, and I really didn't challenge him on that last night because I wanted to focus on, you know, his his concern and, and what he needed my ear for. So I, I didn't get a chance to address that because quite frankly, I had to get to my burrito bowl. You understand what I'm trying to say? <laughs> I mean, Chipotle was, was calling. Yes. I was, yes, yes. Minutes, I was 57 minutes into a call with him and I love him, but yo man, I was hungry, man. It was a long day. So, <laughs> uh, so, so needless to say, that was my challenge with white, white, one of my challenges with white fragility. I just didn't feel like it was fair to place all white people under a umbrella of racism. What are your thoughts? So I, we actually just downloaded on audible, the new Eddie Glock jr. Um, book who, uh, who he's amazing. And it's kind of his take on picking up James Baldwin's um, uh, theories on, on race in America. And he's very clear in, I think this is a something that white people need to understand is that we are very used to having racist behavior, being a part of a racist system, and then being forgiven by black people because you have fundamentally been more patient with us than we deserve. Yeah. And so 
on the face of it, I I disagree. I think that there is a root of racism in every white person that has to be rooted out. And we can't root it out until we recognize it for what it is, whether that is sheer silence and laziness to not go and and take the steps that is need that are needed to advocate and to raise up our fellow citizens or outright racism right and so there is that piece that that spectrum that i think we as white people have to own and i think that we I, one thing that that he said is we we do have to get past the guilt of it because the guilt is an empowering thing, right? The guilt is victimization. And a lot of people are allowing themselves to be victimized by being called out for excelling and doing nothing to change a, a system that is fundamentally fault flawed and is racist. And so, it, but... Right. That being said is I think that reading a book can be also be used as a crutch, right? It's like saying, but I read a book, so I'm not a racist anymore. Bullshit. Yeah. Right? You I and it just harkens back to this book club and I actually had this conversation this week with my sister-in-law again. Um, you know, we sitting sitting in on the north side of Indianapolis. I drove at, up actually to to be a part of this conversation cuz I wanted to see how he the most affluent county in Indiana was dealing um, with this this crisis of racism and how the suburban white women were were really managing it, and it was it was fairly powerful to see the way that their minds had been changed. Um, you know, grown grown women who wept when they saw, suddenly had sort of their their eyes open to what the world is like for so many people. But the challenge is, right, is that you can read a book and you can cry and you can do all of those things. That's cathartic and I think it's part of the process. But after that, you got to fucking do something, right? Yeah. You, you, can't, you can't be a performative ally. And so this week, actually, same county in Indianapolis, um, a, a Catholic priest said that all people who are part of or supporting Black Lives Matter are maggots. He said it not only in his sermon, but they posted those sermon notes on the public facing page of the website. Oh, and I got, call my you got to say, I need to see that. I, got I, I will. I, I will send it to you. I will post it on our Facebook so you can, it is, it is shocking. Um, and I called my sister-in-law and I said, y'all better get off your asses and go, go stand in front of that church with some signs and make some calls because this is where you decide that the stuff that you read and the stuff that you've been talking about and the, the safety of this, this women's group that you're a part of now it's time to put words to action. Absolutely. And if you're not, then stop fucking talking about it. Yeah. And Absolutely. sorry, that's a lot of language right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, but I, I feel very strongly about how much, I've changed since, remember when we talked to Dr. Jensen like a year and a half or so ago, and and he fundamentally helped me to see the world in a new way. And I think white people need to see the world in a new way, and I don't think that they, they we, I'm one of them, um, 
need to feel guilty about it, but they have to be taking action, right? And and we shouldn't expect Black people not to be angry, not to be mad, not to be aggressive, because I, if white people were in the same spot that y'all are in, we would we would be that. We would be angry. We would be aggressive, and it would be justified. And that's, I think, where we need to get to. But I think I like the the where you're going with it in terms of you know we also have to to find other ways other than just reading a book. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Julie mentions Dr. Jensen. I believe that was our July 29th. 2019 episode if you want to kind of go back and grab a listen there but so so to finish up with david ward burke and everything that you said i feel it you know bottom line is we got to do something and that's a great place to do it yo you can stand outside in front of the church bring your own communion and a sign you understand what i'm saying bring your own grape juice wafer cookie and a sign do that uh so david ward burke he says that basically the book comes down to either acknowledge your fragility which proves D'Angelo's theory or deny your fragility, which also proves the theory. <laughs> and uh, this is a logical fallacy known as Kafka trap. That's K-A-F-K-A-T-R-A-P, Kafka trap. I'm not going to go into a definition. You can look that up. So that was his take on it. Dr. Carrie Yazid on LinkedIn, uh, incredible sister. Uh, I think she's in the D.C. area. She says white people stop reading white fragility she provides these steps. Uh, one, send white fragility back to Amazon. Or, <laughs> she was like, yo, send that joint back. Just send it back. Wrap it, send it back. Uh, number two, she says, uh, to take a look at an extensive list that she's created that contains books written by black people that can help you better understand the nature of the ugly beast called racism. The one thing that I've appreciated in our doing Crazy and the King is that you bring to the conversation a relationship, a proximity to having an unseen disability. See, so I learn through your lens, through your relationship. I'm sorry, not your your reality. I get to create a relationship to that reality and I have a better understanding. I have a far better appreciation for uh, LGBTQ um, uh experiences because I've made it my business to uh, add more friends in the corporate culture that have identified, that have come out, you know, so it's not, I think that they're gay or lesbian. I know they're gay or lesbian. And so I'm more intentional about, well, what's this like? Or I'm learning. I said to you a couple of episodes back that I was going to follow uh, individuals that were Muslim because I wanted to have a, a new understanding and I'm still on my 90 day learning with following those in- individuals on Instagram and getting a couple of emails. So Dr. Kerry Yazid says, read books written by people that can really show you the experience of racism. And then last but not least, she says, connect with legitimate thought leaders that can really educate you on the effects of racism. So listen, I'm not telling you to, to not we- read White Fragility. But I am going to tell you that uh, I don't believe that it is uh, the gospel for um, helping you to uh, to be more than performative, as Julie said a moment ago. Uh, make your own decision, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a great place for a lot of women to start. Um, 
or a, a lot of people, a lot of white people's to, to start. Um, but it, it's not the end place. And I love Dr. Yazid, um, yeah. her list that she put together. I'll definitely put that in the show notes, put it on our Facebook because I, like we talked about on Juneteenth is we need to be raising up black businesses. It's not enough that we're just talking about Juneteenth, not enough that we're celebrating it. We need to take action. And those actions include both our time and our resources. And just before we move on from this topic, I, I had a, I was able to be on a YouTube kind of panel last week about white allyship. Mm-hmm. And I, I got a great education, first of all, let me tell you that. And the the second piece is there was one white guy, God love him, he was he was brave enough to come on and and take the take the heat um for for all the other white men out there. Um and he he kind of went with that like, I'm trying, don't attack me, you know, it makes me not want to help you when when every time I screw up, like you just kind of all pile on. Yeah. And I, I can tell you as, as a, as a white woman, it was hard for me not to like come to his aid mm-hmm. just out of habit. Right. It just immediately rose up in me to, to say, well, guys, he's trying, come on. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the women of color on the panel, I, I smartly was quiet for once and they just took him to task and it gave me a good lesson in how we we need to talk about, in this case, white male fragility, um, and to try to open people's eyes, but also to say like, "Hey, you might feel bad, but try and be try being one of us for the yeah. last four hundred yeah. years and see how you feel." Yeah. And I, it, it was really good. It, yeah, it was an interesting conversation. Yeah, let me ask you a question about that because, I, of course, I wasn't there. So I, I'd like to know when you when you think of some of the things that he said that you 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 perhaps wanted to react to in a supportive the you know supportive way were were the black women. Um, I don't want to use the word authorized. Was it appropriate? Did you feel like in the end when you sat quietly and you listened, did you feel like it was fair? It was positive. It was constructive. Or do you feel like it was more punitive damaging and it may lead him to a position of, of retreat? So I think it was fair. I think it was more than fair. And I think that, white people, white men need to stop being so damn sensitive, right? I, we, people, you can't say something to us and not have us kind of react in that like, oh, now we're talking about race and I didn't do it right, but you're not inviting me in. You're not making me want to be a part of this. You're attacking me. And it's like, dude, get over yourself. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was aggressive, right? And it was punitive, but it was not wrongly aggressive or punitive. And I feel like they still did a nice job. And this is something else I'm still learning to do. They did a nice job of drawing him back in, even though they they gave him what for. Um, they, they drew him back in at the end and said, this is how you can do better. So they still forgave him, even though they, they took him to task. It, it was a really interesting conversation. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I love it. Uh, I appreciate, you know, when folks can get in and have that constructive dialogue back and forth. And I tell people that, you know, again, the DNI conversation, you know, whether it be through a mandate, through some sort of consulting engagement, whether it be just in people getting on Zoom and having these conversations because they really want to move forward, the, uh, uh, you know, exercising something beyond that performative allyship that you mentioned a moment ago, whatever the scenario is, the situation is, it can be a promising conversation. It's going to sting a little bit. Listen, it's going to sting. But if you can step outside of that 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 moment and just say, we are going through this pain. I mean, we say it all the time, no pain, no gain. So if we can just go through this moment of pain, five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, a week, a conference call, whatever it is, if we can go through it, we can get to a far far better place. I absolutely believe that we can. Uh, speaking of, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, our producer, DJ uh, Sells. Um, I really appreciate that he is producing and helping us out in, in a, a timely way, if you will. So now when we drop our episodes, our episodes are like timely. So I get to say hashtag stop hate for profit is like a real thing. Yes. And this week. Today. Actually, July 1st. And we are, you know, at the beginning of such. And so, again, I don't know, speaking of Juneteenth and all of the organizations that made the announcement that Julie just said a moment ago, uh, I guess the thing right now is, you know, a lot of organizations, and I think the count is close to 550 and growing, 550 organizations have signed on and said that they're not going to advertise uh, either on Facebook, Twitter, and in some instances, some have paused their advertising across social media altogether uh, because they said, we are not going to be supportive of a platform that is not stopping, you know, hate, bottom line. And so I appreciate that. Speaking of, did you see the the announcement that Reddit put out? Um, I did not. What, what happened? Oh, yes, I did. You tell yeah. us, though. Yeah, yeah. I'll just summarize it. I didn't like it, actually. I thought I thought that what they were trying to do was water down when they gave more of a protective statement around underrepresented people. Uh, bottom line is if you're attacking, if you are an ass, if you are a donkey on the, the platform towards people that are underrepresented, black, brown people, people with disabilities, other, uh, that they would, you know, I guess, kick you off the platform, shut down your account. Uh, and I just felt like you should just put out a, a blanket statement because there are white folks that well, white people are not protected. And yet there are white people that will get attacked for certain things that they say, positions that they take. And, yeah, I just think that bottom line is if you are an ass across the site, no matter who you are being a donkey towards, we're taking you off the site. So I just felt like it, it took away the potency of what they were trying to do by protecting some of us digitally and not all of us. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I think Reddit should just cease to exist. I think it is a dangerous echo chamber of extremism in, in so many cases, and it's creating subcultures of angry, unhinged people um, that are feeling empowered right now to come out of, of the woodwork and, and have this sort of mutual feeling of, of engagement. And I, I personally, I think it's a dangerous platform and I don't engage in it um, very often. Every once in a while to read something that might be a little interesting, but otherwise, no. 
Yeah, I got you. I, I don't spend too much time on, on the site either. I have a profile. And part of the reason I have a profile is because I tried to save Torin Ellis across so many platforms. I just didn't want a person to to be able to take, uh, you know, my likeness, as they say. Um, so there we have it. Adidas. Yo, did you see this? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why, why did you why did you just like why did you gasp like that? What what happened? I mean, come on. Let's let's just pretend like I don't know what's happening. Why did you gasp like that? Just educate me. Uh, so, uh, Karen Perkin. Yeah. Uh, uh, HR. Another head Karen. Another yeah. Karen. Oh, she is a Karen. I did, I did hear a good thing, though, the other day. Instead of calling them Karen, we should call them Avancas. Um, oh. <laughs> Sorry, politics. My bad. Um, so, she, after 23 years at Adidas, is stepping down. Um saying that racism is just noise. 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 Adidas, come on. Yeah, so let, let's let's just park right there for a second. N-O-I-S-E. Like she boiled it down to those five letters. Racism. I mean, she boiled down what has systemically, institutionally, been an issue ever since black people have settled at the shores of Jamestown. And we're talking a constitution where we are three-fifths of a human. I mean, just like from the very beginning of our time here in North America, she says that what we are experiencing is just noise. Incredible. Yeah. And I, I mean, just as a note, she still has her LinkedIn um, as a executive board member um, and a, an employee of, of Adidas. So make sure that uh, she doesn't end up with one of those cushy golden parachutes that happen so often when we get to that, uh, that level. But she will. Uh, but she will. Yeah. It's no need for us to even pretend to play that game, Julie. Okay. She will. Okay. She's, you know, bottom line is it's in her employment contract, high ranking, been with the organization for a great deal of time. Adidas, Adidas or Adida, as they like to, uh, I think it's the proper way to say it. Uh, really? It's a, it's a mutual agreement that she's going to step down. Trust me when I tell you, she's good. And even more, She's going to go on to start a consulting practice or even picked up, you know, by other organizations and placed on boards, knowing that she felt like racism is just noise. Yeah. So we have a lot of work to do and we, and, do. And we, we do. need to, uh, to, to deal with, with yeah. the, these Karens of the world. Yeah, um, we absolutely do. Um, I wanted to say that, you know, bottom line for, for all of you out there listening, uh, Adidas or Adidas employees are still not happy uh, with how the C-suite has handled, um, you know, concerns, concerns around Black Lives Matter at, at large, concerns yeah. about uh, em, employee and internal movement for Black and Brown employees. You know, Adidas will hire a lot of black and brown folks, but the ability for them to grow through the ranks has been challenged. And, and I know that personally. And when I say personally, I know it 
personally. And last thing that I'll say on this story, we'll put the link, the Forbes link up. There's certainly a number of other reference points that you can go to. But uh, when our dear friend Lars Schmidt put this up on LinkedIn, I just put one word under it. I said, bye. (laughs) You know, yeah, get out. See you later. Yep. So you y'all probably noticed we really only talked about one kind of current event story this week with um, the ridiculous Adidas and spent most of our time talking about uh, white fragility. And that's because we decided we would push um, my topic this week to next week because I feel I feel we feel like it's such an important conversation. We wanted to get a little bit deeper um, into some of the sources we've been talking to and and gather some more information. Um, but you know, just kind of as a, a teaser, in June, um, a, a man by the name of Michael Hickson, um, who is a a black uh, quadriplegic, was murdered in his Austin hospital bed um, through both starvation and dehydration. And this story isn't being talked about by the mainstream media. And we need to be prepared to talk about and lift up the stories of Black disabled individuals and why they matter, right? The, the sheer basics of, of, of a human being's value if he is both black and disabled and why the words that we use and the actions that we take to minimize black people and black people with disabilities and people with disabilities have an impact and, and directly result in the devaluation of human lives and the death of Michael Hickson. Yeah, it's a great, great uh, forecast for what it is we're going to be talking about. And a good link and good preview for you all right now would be a video sent to me by my dear friend over in London, Theo Smith. Um, And Theo actually sent me a YouTube. It's titled, What's It Like to Be ADHD in Black? What's Mm -hmm. It Like to Be ADHD in Black? It's on YouTube. We'll put the link in our show notes. It's a 25-minute investment of time. But it's a great way for you to just kind of, you know, uh, uh, get get sensitive, get get close to experiences of other people. If you're going to be on this journey with Julie and I, then the journey requires that we are all submitting ourselves to some form of learning. It's not about entering into the conversation knowing with all, uh, knowing that or feeling as if you have all of the answers. It's not about entering into the conversation feeling as if we are uh, penalizing you, casting a stone and albatross around your neck. We're just simply saying we have work to do and it's not something uh, where humanity can wait. We we must continue to be submitted to the work. So let's close it out, Julie. Who's your name drop for the week? Um, so Myla DeChant, uh, Chief Heart Culture Scientist at Chief of Hearts. Um, I was a part of her YouTube series, um, part three of dismantling racism and enabling diversity. Fantastic conversation, all three episodes. I'm not sure if she's doing um, more past it, but really great, really smart guests who elevate 
the conversation of dismantling racism and enabling diversity. Super impressed. Thank you, Myla, for including me. Uh, I, I definitely got quite an education and was very honored, but just for putting on the conversation and pulling really great people together. Shout out to Myla the champ. Mine goes to Kate Biscoff. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at K the number eight B I S C H K the number eight B as in boy I S as in Sam C H. She actually dropped uh, Sherm must support Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ community on change.org. It's a petition. Uh, my understanding now is that the petition is uh, reaching close to 4,000 probably by the time you hear this 4,000 signatures and, and really what she's trying to do is get, you know, Sherm to, to stand up. You know, she, she shared with me in an email that they didn't issue a pride statement, no tips or strategies for members, nothing. They haven't really addressed black lives matter. They've done nothing, but yet they still, you know, want people to invest money to experience learning through the paywall. I think, you know, a lot of folks were upset with Sherm, you know, in the height of COVID because all of the COVID, you know, support services were behind a paywall where a lot of other organizations were simply sharing, you know, the learning, if you will. So shout out to Kate Biscoff. Find her petition on change.org. Uh, it's titled Sherm Must Support Black Lives Matter and the LGBTQ Community. Cool. Closing remarks. Um, yeah, I think we're going to have to revisit this shroom conversation. Um, other than that, stay safe, stay smart. Uh, I would like to see you all again soon. Um, have a happy and wonderful 4th of July, and uh, we'll be back next week. Absolutely. Follow both of us on uh, Twitter and the other socials. What's your handle, Jay? Uh, at J-U-L-I-E-S-O-W-A-S-H. Everywhere, Julie Sowash. And mine is at Torin, T-O-R-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, across all of social media. I pose wishing that each and every one of you become and be a better human. Have an awesome rest of the week. Enjoy the long weekend. You can catch my 4th of July special on Sirius XM channel 126 at 1 p.m. Eastern this Sunday, every Sunday. We do it channel 126, 1 p.m. Eastern, every single Sunday. For now, Jay and I... See ya. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analysts at Chiffre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.